welcome to Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. My name is Andrew Murata, host of the show, and it is show number 236. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Happy February. Uh, lots in the hopper here. Valentine's Day, the Super Bowl uh, here in the States. And uh, just just a, a busy time, a nice time. We got President's Week uh, vacation coming up here in New York. So uh, a lot of these things here in front of me. Um, proud member of the Education Podcast Network, Voice Ed Radio Canada, or wherever you are consuming these podcasts. Uh, leave us a question, leave us a comment, and uh, excited to be rolling tonight. I have had over 200 guests on the podcast. I have never had a rock star on, and I am pumped up to meet my friend Ravi. Um, Ravi is an incredible, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't even know where to start, Ravi. We're going to have you on here in a moment. He is an incredible speaker, uh, has an incredible story, uh, and just a real artist and a real uh, uh, person with heart, person building connections and relationships. And uh, I'm excited to talk with him uh, and we're going to learn his story. So it is show number 236. Let's get rolling. Uh, my opening concept is it's called the bright lights. Ravi's performed on many types of stages, uh, musically, speaking in front of aviation groups, and now speaking globally around the, the world uh, to education groups, uh, uh, you know, involved in, in uh, you know, bringing nations together. I mean, it's incredible. But the, it's the bright lights. And whether you're a high school principal, an elementary principal, right, when those bright lights come on for graduation, whether you're a refereeing official, many of my brothers and sisters out there refereeing, when the bright lights come on for the big games, 10,000, 20,000 people in the stand, right? Or those moments where you just have a lot of eyes on you, a school board meeting, a high school gymnasium, right? When those bright lights come on, how do you perform? How are you your best in those moments? And I'm going to ask Ravi that question uh, when we get started. But I ask that to you. What are some things that you do to prepare for those bright lights? Because you could be great in a little meeting. You could be great on Zoom. You could be great in, with two or three people. But when those eyes come on you, when the pressure comes on you, when everyone's watching you, how do you perform in those moments? So a couple bits of advice, a couple little things. Number one, prepare, right? Have your stuff ready, your speech, your thing. Uh, nobody wants to see you reading from the thing. Number two, um, you know, you know, know what you're prepared, but know the setting, right? What the time is it outdoors or rain date? No, you know. Number three, know your audience, right? Know your audience. Who you're talking to? What's it? What's the environment? What's going on there? Um, and number four, you gotta act confident, right? You might be nervous. You might be a little scared. That's okay, right? It's okay. You got to act confident. So just a couple tips there uh, for when you're in those moments uh, of the uh, of the bright lights. Enough of me talking. Let's bring Ravi into the program. Here he comes all the way from Chile. Ravi, hey. nice to see you. Welcome to the program. Good to be here, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, Ravi and I met uh, in order. Oregon at the School Boards Association. Shout out to Jim Green and OSBA. Um, Ravi, it's an honor to have you on. And let's start right there. We're going to learn your story in the show. But Ravi, yeah. you performed in a lot of places and in, in, in a number of different settings. How, how did you prepare for those bright lights? 
You know, I think the tips that you just gave are, are right on target. I mean, you got to be prepared. You got to know what your subject matter is, whether it's music, whether it's uh, when I was in aviation and talking to aviation audiences or whether it's some going up uh, in front of a room full of incredible educators that are changing lives every day. You know, I need to know, uh, number one, what I'm going to talk about. Number two, as you said, who your audience is. Um, and you just got to be prepared. And the other, the other aspect of it that I think is really important, and this only comes from practice, but it's you got to know how to improvise, you know, and, and I was trained as a jazz musician. And that was probably one of the best things, trainings I've ever had for life, but also for speaking because things go wrong. You know, look, we're live today. Anything can happen. Right. And when you're speaking in front of an audience of hundreds or thousands or dozens or five, doesn't matter. Things can go wrong and you got to be able to run with it. Um, humor. Humor is a real important part, you know, developing the craft of humor so that when those moments happen, you can kind of laugh your way out of it with the audience and have them laughing with you instead of at you, right, as, as the saying goes. So those are all kinds of techniques that I think um, I've certainly tried to, to work on and, and uh, perfect it, uh, you know, as part of my craft in order to be able to ha handle those situations. And when you know you can do it, well, that's preparation. That's being prepared for the unexpected. And, and uh, as I like to say, being able to pivot when you need to be able to pivot. Nice. Nice shout out with the book there. Uh, guys, Ravi was incredible on stage. I had a chance to see him again in uh, Portland, Oregon. Uh, and Ravi, you just have an amazing story. Uh, I really, uh, you know, I, I referenced the Dos Equis commercial, right? The world's most interesting man. But you're, you're right in there. You're To me, you're, you know, you're right there. Uh, I mean, a musician, again, in the field of aviation, now in the field of education, and, and you related your story. You started out telling your story about your relationship uh, with school and, and your journey with your music teacher and what your mom did for you. Get us started getting to know you here. Tell us that, that journey uh, through school and how music transformed your life to you know, making you an all-star you know, all musician. Well, you know, I mean, I think the short, short, the, sh the short version of the story is that um, I didn't get school. I just couldn't relate to it at all. And I didn't understand um, how it was going to help me become Angus Young of ACDC, which was my dream. Um, you know, and that's a, since I was 11 years old, I thought, wow, maybe one day I could be a rock star. And by the age of 14, I was determined that that was the pursuit I wanted to have, not necessarily as a quote unquote rock star, but I wanted to be in the music industry. I had found my passion um, and, and I knew what I wanted to do. And, and I just didn't relate to school at all. And, um, you know, I had to find my own path and I had to find my own mentors and I had to find, um, uh, convince my parents who, you know, were big believers in education, you know, that I needed to, to pursue my own path and my own journey. And, um, and and what's interesting about it now when I'm speaking to education audiences and education leadership specifically, is I realize that uh, a lot of what I'm talking about is how important it is that we provide those opportunities for students to find their own way and not necessarily conform to the uh, traditional pathways that we think students are supposed to pursue. But at the same time, when I tell that story, I realized, wow, my education worked because it really contributed to my confidence in being able to 
pursue my own path, my ability to find my own passion. It worked. And I hope that uh, that's what I convey to my audiences is that I've sort of gone through this as a student thinking it wasn't working and looking back at it and go, wow, I had everything I needed in my public education growing up in, in Connecticut. And uh, it provided me with the tools and the skills combined with a good family, you know, and, and, and parents who uh, were willing to support me, which is a huge part of it. One of the things I talk about in my book is, you know, parents can't outsource the education of a child to a school. They have to remain participants mm -hmm. throughout that educational journey. And um, that was the fortune that I had. You know, my parents were involved uh, despite their own problems, despite their divorce, despite everything. They were still involved in, and supportive of my journey. So it was the whole package that worked. My public education, my family, and my ability to find some outside mentors as well to, to guide me on my path. And one of those mentors uh, was your principal. Uh, and just the way you told that story of him and then the pictures you had, it was just beautiful. Tell me about that relationship with your principal. Yeah, what you had all those years. Wasn't my principal. It was my superintendent, even more distant. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, that, yeah. That's what was so, yeah, so sorry, weird about sorry. it. And, and it was because, you know, the only reason why I, I connected with him 30 years later, because I grew up in a, in a relatively large school. We had almost 3,000 kids in our high school. Oh, wow. um, I, I didn't know uh, my superintendent. I knew he was, but I didn't. I, don't think I had ever met him and he certainly didn't know me. But when the New York State Council of School Superintendents hired me to give their keynote um, and I realized I didn't even know what a superintendent was. <laughs> I thought it was a guy, you know, that fixed stuff in, a, in an apartment building. <laughs> I grew up in the suburbs of New York City, right? That's what a super was. That's a super. <laughs> call, the super. Call, call the super. The, the plumbing isn't working, you know. So, you know, uh, I realized when I called the Board of Education, I said, whatever happened to Dr. Fleischman? For some reason, I remembered him. And uh, three days later, I got a call from Dr. Fleischman saying, hey, Rob, you heard you're looking for me. Give me a call. Love and he signed it, his first name, Ernie. So I called Ernie and I invited him out to lunch. And what I discovered in that lunch, amongst uh, many things, but the thing that really struck me was that he was superintendent from uh, what, 1976 to 1989, 13 years. Well, I went to kindergarten in 76. I graduated high school in 89. I only had one superintendent. I so I realized this guy was literally the architect of my education. And I had a whole new appreciation for, for him, for my education, for superintendents, uh, and, and just for how the whole public education system really works based on my reconnecting with him 30 years after I graduated high school. What a great story and uh, just how you shared that. And then, Robbie, you, you know, you, you rolled into a professional music career. You had a big run with the Hanson brothers and, you you know, you guys were at the top, top. You know, you, you were there. And then you shared how Napster, you know, brought that down. Tell me about that journey of going up and, how, you know, how fast it, 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 you know, what happened there. Tell us that story. Yeah, you know, I mean, overnight successes, there's no such thing, right? It's a long journey. And it was for me, as I said, by the age of 11, I had a dream. By the age of 14, I was determined to pursue that dream. And, um, you know, I, I uh, left, uh, I finished high school and um, enrolled in New York University because I wanted to stay in New York City. I thought that's where my music connections were. 
uh, and where I could really build my, my career. I had contacts in the recording studios. I had my own recording studio before I graduated high school. I wanted to maintain that business. And, um, you know, all of that uh, led to me leaving university early and using the money to really build my studio. And that led to clients who went off and did amazing things and then at the right time remembered me and referred me to Mercury Records when they were looking for a young guitar player for a band that nobody had heard of. They were about to launch. And it wow. turned out to be Hanson. I was hired wow. in February. We did our first gig in March. And by August, we were the top selling band in the world. It was crazy. Yeah. And we did everything you can imagine from, you know, Madison Square Garden with Aerosmith. Um, that was a huge highlight. We did Letterman, uh, Dave Letterman show, Tonight Show with Jay Leno, Today Show, Good Morning America, Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Saturday Night Live was great. It was the year that the movie As Good As It Gets came out. And Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt were the hosts. Come on! <laughs> and not only that, it was the Christmas special. So... <laughs> So, uh, not only, so you know, that got repeated many, many years, which was nice. Re royalties kept coming in for years because it was the Christmas special. But they also had a big Christmas party afterwards. So I got to hang out with Jack and, you know, <laughs> I mean, stuff, you know, pinch me, right? Is this really happening? Wow. Um, and then we ended the year uh, doing Bill Clinton's Christmas party at the White House. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. And I remember just standing, you know, just a few feet away performing while while the leader of the free world was just sitting there politely nodding his head to the groove, you know, probably wishing he could jump up on stage and play His daughter uh, was a fan, right? I mean, yeah, Chelsea was probably yeah. one of our, 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 you know, most famous fans and she convinced her dad to hire us to do the Christmas party. So we did the White House Christmas party that year. Wow. And yeah, I mean, it was insane. It was crazy. And it's, it, I lived my dreams. I surpassed my dreams in the music industry. But then uh, this thing called the Internet, you know, came came about and peer-to-peer um, uh, -peer networks and, and file sharing started to become very pervasive. And, and, you know, how, as I say in the keynote, you know, what Uber did to taxis, what Airbnb has done to hotels. Napster did to the music industry yeah. and, and it happened first, you know, it happened a long time ago and the music industry didn't know how to handle it. So our contracts were all, you know, put on hold. Everybody's records that were coming out were put on hold, happened to a ton of artists and um, everything just sort of uh, fell apart. And it was kind of weird. I was 25 at the time, having had this dream since I was 14, having worked really professionally in the industry in some capacity since I was 16 since I opened my recording studio at the age of 16, um, my dreams were shattered all of a sudden at 25. I thought everybody I was meeting was going to make my career. And then they started sending me their resumes. And I was like, what are you talking about? You were supposed to, you know, have my solo career after Hanson. And now they were all looking for jobs. Yeah. So I had to pivot. That was really the first time where, where I had to pivot. And I realized that um, the ability to do that is, is a skill that we have to be teaching students, you know, because I look at my career now, that was the first one that I pivoted into becoming a, a journalist and a speaker in the music industry at that point. And then I pivoted later after the 2008 um, uh, global financial crisis, I pivoted into aviation. And then in, in 2015, I pivoted into keynote speaking and education. Yeah. You got to reinvent yourself. And this is a very important skill that we need to teach students. And that's the basis of my book, Pivot, is really how do we incorporate 
that type of education into every student so that they can uh, always adapt as needed in an unpredictable environment. Ravi, it's an amazing story of resilience, uh, creativity. Uh, I could take these questions in a lot of ways. Uh, many people ask, I used to referee too, Andrew, do you miss it? So did you do you miss that stage of music? Do you miss that bright light of the of you know being a rock star? I mean, you guys were on top of the world. Did you miss that? Um, no, and and for two reasons. Uh, the first is I, I really got my fill of it. I really enjoyed it. I I absorbed every moment. When we did Madison Square Garden with Aerosmith, for example, <clears throat> you know, you get in the morning, you do your sound check, you go back to the hotel, you come back at night, you do the show. I didn't go back to the hotel. I sat in the nosebleed seat for hours, literally hours, and just watched the Everything. empty arena. <laughs> you know, I've been in that arena so many times for, yeah. for what? For Knicks games, for other concerts, for, for other stuff. You know, growing up in the suburbs of New York City, Madison Square Garden was the dream. And I sat there for probably seven hours, eight hours, and just, you know, literally had the arena to myself pretty much. And realizing that all those times I've seen other people on the stage tonight, people were going to be seeing me on that stage. So I didn't waste a moment of that experience. I really mm. absorbed it and, and, and enjoyed it. Um, I wrote a book about it afterwards called Dancing with Hanson that Simon & Schuster published about that whole experience. Um, so I, I felt like I made the most of it. Then now I find myself on stage with audiences that that challenge me, that that make me that push me to a higher level because I have a different relationship with the audience than I ever had in the music industry. Music industry is is, is uh, airplanes, vans, hotels, stage, vans, hotel, airplane. You don't get to hang out and meet your audience. You don't really get to learn from your audience. You get a lot of energy from them, but you don't really get to grow from that experience. That's what I get from keynote speaking. That's what I get from my audiences. And, you know, you know, because you 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 met me in, in, in Oregon, um, I closed the bar down with my audience. That's, that's, you know, for me, that's part of my education. It's part of my enjoyment. It's part of how I stay relevant. It's part of how um, I keep learning and growing is by listening to my audiences. I never had that opportunity in the music industry like I do in the speaking industry. And so for me, having had the full fulfillment of what I did in the music industry and now having the constant, you know, welcomed challenge that I have as a speaker doesn't make me miss it at all. And I still get, I get it. I don't know. Uh, it's a different kind of, energy but it's an energy it's a good energy yeah. that i get from being on stage i'm still on stage you know yeah. I, enjoy it. I can relate the same thing with refereeing really just that in and out you know and i i know exactly what you're you, what you're saying um ravi tell me about the the you know i'm going to use the word responsibility right the responsibility of providing that influence your keynote was one of the best i've ever seen you took us on a journey. You had that audience like, wow, what a, what a story. The pictures, just the, the whole thing, you know. How do you, how do you handle that responsibility of, hey, I, I, I want to change these people's lives. Uh, what do you put into that? And, and how do you feel about that stepping on that stage to really take these people on that journey? Well, I do recognize it's a responsibility. I mean, it's not only uh, a responsibility of my client who's hired me and who's paid me. 
but every person sitting in that audience is investing time and hoping that their time is going to going to uh, give a return on that investment and that they're going to walk away with something. I think that very seriously. It's one of the main reasons why I got into education is because I can speak to a corporate audience. I can speak to lots of different audiences and have real estate, whatever. Um, but what I realized once when I spoke to a superintendent's group and about four months later, a teacher sent me a picture that their uh, sixth grader, I think it was, had drawn with a quote. And it was a quote from something that I said at that superintendent's mm. conference. Mm. I realized at that moment, wow, what I said at a superintendent's conference trickled down to the principals, to the teachers, to the student. Wow. Now, I don't know how often that happens, but I know it happened. So I know the potential is there. And that means that there is uh, an opportunity that I have as a, as a quote unquote influencer, I guess, um, that should not be taken for granted and should not be wasted. Uh, so there's there's a lot of responsibility that goes into that. So I do a lot of research. I make sure that um, I'm not just putting stuff out there that is uh, not actionable. You know, I'm definitely an idealist and I, I make that pretty clear to my audiences because I think one needs a healthy dose of idealism out there in the world because that's where the vision comes from. And I think that my keynote offers my audiences a big vision yeah. But it's my job then to break it down so that it's actionable, so that they can actually take something useful, put it into action that's going to make the difference in a child's life, in a family's life, and in a community's life. But you're, you're not just talking about it, though. You're doing it. Those videos of you bringing kids together from around the globe, uh, you know, it's one thing to talk about it. You're right. doing it and then urging others to do it. So you're modeling it really uh, for others. Well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, part of it is, wow, this surprised me. I did it. I should talk about it. The other part of it is I'm going to talk about it, so I should do it to mm -hmm. make sure that it's right. Yeah. You know, so there's there's both sides of that. Um, so part of that responsibility is making sure that um, the suggestions that I'm offering, that the anecdotes that I'm, uh, you know, recollecting and the statistics that I'm presenting actually work you know and and um if i can make them, that's the other point if i can make them work boy they're they're i know i'm not by any means the smartest guy in the room when i'm on stage talking so if i can make it work all these smart people in the audience can not only make it work but they can run with it and make it work even better you know the good example is the is the ravi united schools thing of bringing students together from around the world classrooms together and just talking you know i, I know that there are so many people in my uh, audiences that can take that ball and run with it and explode with it you know make it so much more impactful than i even could ravi tell me about the creative side i mean you're a true artist right music aviation, flying, flying planes, talking to people, uh, flying planes, and now education. I mean, you're a real artist and you're, you know, you spoke beautifully, but your presentation was also beautiful, really. Um, tell me about the creation. How do you create? Where do you create? When do you create? How do you do that? You know, um, the, the PowerPoint itself, uh, you know, I don't know if, you, if you're thinking of that um, specifically that uh, technical aspect of it. 
But the PowerPoint itself, one of the great things that um, great pleasures I get is designing the PowerPoint. It is creative. It is artistic. It's it's visual. It's a visual art. I don't put a pencil in my hand. I can barely draw a stick figure. <laughs> that is not my skill. But when it comes to putting together these presentations, that's part of um, my opportunity to develop my visual skills uh, as an artist. So, you know, that to me is um, important. And one of the greatest compliments that my audiences give me about the PowerPoint is that was PowerPoint. Mm. You don't realize because I focus very much on making sure that nobody notices slide transitions. Sure. There are a lot of animations. There's a lot of flow. I want it to look like a movie and I'm, you know, I'm clicking like every few seconds as it's going on behind me. It was a so story. From, yeah. Yeah. I mean, from a creativity point of view, it's, it's a, it's a performance art. It's a multimedia presentation that I think I offer my audiences. And, and that's what I really, really try to deliver. So, you know, even sometimes, you know, people ask me, you ask me, how do I, do I miss being on stage? Some people will ask me, do I miss the creativity of, of writing a song? Cause I don't write music that much anymore. Um, but I get it in other ways. And, the, yeah. and just the design of the PowerPoint is actually a, a, kind of a good example of that. Yeah. Well, and the story, I mean, the way you told the story, um, you can tell you are a true artist there. And I mean, it was really great. Ravi, you know, storytelling, storytelling is something that we need to be teaching, you know, because everybody's got a story. Their ability to tell it is what's going to help them become successful. And storytelling is what engages people. Storytelling is what builds networks. And um, it, to me, it's just, I, I don't know, I guess it's somewhat natural because I wrote songs for a long time. I wrote lyrics. I was, I've been telling stories, you know, through music for a long time. So this is, again, part of why we need to keep the arts in education is that it helps people not only create students create their story, but teaches them how to tell their story. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And man, you did a great job there. Ravi, you know, the New York City area, the East Coast, uh, you know, it's a very di diverse area. But you've been around the world where in parts where maybe it's not diverse. Right. And if you look at him, people say, is he black? Is he white? Is he Native American? What's his right. background? You know, um, tell me about living in this diverse uh, world we're in. But have you experienced racism in, in the work you're doing? You were with an all white band. And who's this other guy? And 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 who is he? What is he? Uh, tell me about racism and the work in, in your journey. Right. So, you know, uh, aviation is a good example. The aviation period of my life, 2008 to 2015. Um, I got my pilot's license in 2008. And then I was a very active speaker in aviation and, and hanging out with people like Buzz Aldrin and Gene Cernan, all these astronauts, yeah. Tuskegee, all these amazing people, you know. But aviation is 5% uh, women, 1% African-American. Wow. It is a very um, wow. not diverse whatever the, the opposite of diversity is, it is not a, not a diverse group of people at all. And I don't know how that industry really accepted me or if they did or what to make of it. You know, I think, um, you know, they love the fact that this new young guy was enthusiastic about aviation, but at the same time, the industry itself, uh, the community itself hasn't proven to embrace people that are different from themselves. Mm. So I don't know, is there a ceiling that I might've hit in aviation? Probably, 
there was probably a, a ceiling. Doesn't mean I couldn't have pushed through it, but there probably was. Now you mentioned being the the brown guy in the old white band. I have a feeling maybe that's part of the reason why I got the job. Uh, so maybe it worked for me. Sure. In that way. Maybe they saw, okay, this is somebody that can reach uh, and broaden the market. Because uh, I was hired by the record company originally. And then uh, and then the Hanson brothers, the family, the Hanson family hired me after that, their company. But, um, you know, originally I was brought in by the record company. Well, why? Maybe. I can't say for sure. So the, the answer to the question is, um, yes, I felt uh, that my race has perhaps affected me positively and negatively in everything that I do. So I, I don't know, maybe it's a net neutral, you know, um, but that, that's the way I look at it. You know, I know that there, there's, there's no, of course there's racism in the world. There's, there's issues. I know that people see me in different ways in different, in different circles. Yeah. Um, you know, when I first, I lived in new Orleans for a while and that's a very interesting and complex environment from uh, a racial point of view. And I, I always tell the, journey, the the story, I'll tell the short version of the story of the first time I was in New Orleans, I had a white cab driver take me back to the airport. And when I got out, we had a conversation on the way. And when I got out, he turned to me and said, you know, we need more people like you in this in this city. And then about six months later, I was back in New Orleans. I had a black cab driver drive me to the airport. He turned around as I was getting out. So, you know what we need in this city? We need more people like you. <laughs> I moved to New Orleans. I figured I found that place for three years after that. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, hey, racism exists. It's a good question. But I think we can also learn uh, and find um, ways where, where it works in one's favor and, and it works against you. I mean, I, I, it's not correct. It shouldn't exist, but it does. Uh, and, and so, you know, that's the world we live in. Yeah. And you talked about that in your in your in your speech. You also talked about your privilege that you you came from a line of uh, amazing family and, and people. And um, but you, you talked about it as a as a positive. Look at what these other people have done who came from privilege and, and that you felt a calling. I, I appreciated that uh, part of your talk that it's not a bad thing. Look what I'm doing with it. Yeah, you know, and 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 privilege is it's a funny thing. It's something I didn't want to talk about. Now, look, I come from the the first family of India. My great uncle uh, was Jawaharlal Nehru, the first prime minister of India. Indira Gandhi uh, was my cousin Rajiv. We had three prime ministers of India. My country, uh, my my family fought for independence and created the world's largest democracy alongside Gandhi. So it is something that. Um, and then I grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut. I mean, you know, a very wealthy. Uh, a town. My dad was an investment banker on Wall Street. He decided not to go into politics and instead became one of the first Indians on Wall Street. And he felt a lot of racism I actually. Can imagine that, huh? that. But, um, but he thought it was a good thing. He said it taught me to work twice as hard and, I'm, and I've always worked twice as hard and probably made me more successful than I would have been otherwise. You know, he always uh, thought that way. So, you know, you, you know, privilege is another thing thing that I, I sort of felt like maybe it would disqualify me of what I'm talking about. But then I did some more homework and some research and I realized, well, you look at Martin Luther King, look at Mahatma Gandhi, look at uh, Nelson Mandela. You know, these people all came from privilege and they did amazing things. They did amazing things to change the world uh, that, that 
brought us more equity in the world that that lifted people up um and they were true leaders and i often like to say true leadership is empowering those below you to rise above you well that's what they did that's what i hope in 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 my own way that i do and we all have kids in our classrooms that have privilege and the way that i look at privilege is it's a tool in the toolbox and instead of taking that tool away from these kids let's teach them how to use it yeah. let's teach them how to use that tool for the greater good to make the world a better place because that is how the world works and if we can get a few people that have those tools to empower those below them to rise above them we can change we can absolutely change the world and you're doing that i mean you changed that audience you you made them reach uh you challenged them uh and it was great uh for our live audience here you want to jump in with a question or a comment for ravi please do so and and underneath is his contact information check out ravi's book if you're listening uh and not uh visual here pivot uh, it is excellent, and uh, Ravi uh, is a, a tremendous speaker. Ravi, before we get to rapid fire, those are our, our quick questions at the end here. You know, what was something that uh, you wanted to talk about that I did not ask you? Huh. Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think uh, one of the things that I think my audiences, hopefully, my clients and my audiences appreciate the most is that I'm always looking to learn. And I consider myself a lifelong learner and always looking to learn. And when people ask me, you know, how do you become a great speaker? I say, you got to even be a better listener. Mm. And I think that's something that, that it might be helpful to, that is helpful probably to everybody listening and, and in what we do is the more we listen, the more humble we are, the more we recognize uh, that we benefit from listening to others and learning from others the more influential we become ourselves and the, the greater ability we have to uh, affect change and, and to make the world a better place. So I think that's, you know, one of the really important lessons that I've learned is, is as a thought leader. Um, you know, that's that's the term that, that people like us that give keynote speeches are, you know, often um, identified with is that I, I'm a thought listener first. I want to hear everybody else's thoughts. And that's why I hang out with my audiences. That's because we all have to be lifelong learners. We have to have that curiosity. We have to teach our students uh, to always be curious. And, you know, the, I, I talk about the four pillars of lifelong learning in my book. And I say that's inspiring curiosity. It's nurturing talent. It's provoking uh, critical thinking, and it's fostering communication. Mm. We do those four things. We really give our students and ourselves the ability to navigate anything that, that you know, comes up in front of us. You know, we, we can navigate the most unpredictable circumstances and turn um, every challenge into a, a real opportunity. So, you know, I think, I think that's probably something I would love for the listeners to think about is, is, uh, how they can be lifelong learners and to always see every opportunity as uh, where, where you're confronted with something that maybe doesn't reason with you or, or doesn't seem like uh, something or a person maybe that it doesn't seem like they have anything to offer you to dig a little deeper because there's so much there uh, that we can learn from always around us. Yeah, that's great advice, Ravi. And 
you might say thought leader. I, I say the world's most interesting man is my uh, <laughs> my take on it. All right, Robbie. These are uh, these are rapid fire questions. We're coming down right. the stretch. This is the encore. You came out for one more song. Uh, quick questions to bring us home here on education, leadership, and beyond. Um, are you ready? Here we go. And, and just so you know, Ravi said, Andrew, don't send me the questions. For our audience here, Ravi said, don't send me the questions. I like to be organic here. So he's literally thinking off the top. You know, everywhere, all the other guests had the questions. He's off the top. <laughs> here we go. I love it. I love the organic. I love the creativity. Um, what's the last book you read, Ravi? Uh, the last book I read is Second Mountain by David Brooks. Mm. Last movie you saw? Last movie I saw was, uh, oh gosh, it's been a while. Um, I'm going to guess Bohemian Rhapsody. Wasn't that incredible? Amazing. Saw it twice. It was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. Well, and as a musician, you could appreciate that. I loved when they told them to cut the song and they walked out of the office. <laughs> that was a great movie. Um, you're an international person. I mean, you're around the globe here. This is a tough question. I'll let you. I'll give you. I'll give you two answers since it's tough. Your favorite dish. My favorite dish. Yeah. Oh wow. Oh, that is tough. Um, wasn't the question I thought you were going to ask, but the the answer that comes to mind was is the Georgian meat bread that I had in St. Petersburg, Russia. I bet nobody's <laughs> answered that before. Georgian meat bread? <laughs> <laughs> wow. How about at home? What? Well, at home, and when you're cooking, your family's cooking, what are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm just a sucker for a good steak on the grill. You know, it's like, that is just uh, perfect medium rare with a nice crust on it yeah you've traveled around the globe where is one place where you said i can't wait i go, I, I go back to oh i can't wait to go to or go back to go back to go back to always uh you know it's i've been there three times and it's still really mysterious and it's moscow moscow to me is the, the most mysterious intriguing city uh that i've been to it's not the most beautiful it's not the you know the fanciest but I just always feel like I haven't quite discovered it and I got to go back and, and see it once more. The best speakers are the best because fill in the blank. Because they're the best listeners. They're always learning and they stay relevant to their audience. The best musicians are the best musicians because fill in the blank. Because they're always listening to other musicians and trying to learn from them and, and become better. Yeah. <laughs> see, that's authentic right there. He's, it's true. Um, what's a journal or a blog you subscribe to? Um, <laughs> I, well, one that just comes to mind is what I just subscribed to recently, which is uh, called the Positive News blog, because there's so much negative news in the, in the world. And you know, I'm overseas right now, and I, I wake up and I read the New York Times and the Washington Post every day, and all I hear about are, are mass shootings and you know, awful things that are going on in the world. So I just subscribe to something about positive news because there's so much good that happens too, but we just don't hear about it. And you're feeding your brain positivity. Way to go, Ravi. 
Ravi, you talk it's about like health of- food. It's like health food versus junk food, you know? Yeah. Just exactly. decide what you're, what you're going to consume. Exactly. And you're choosing that. Yeah, I got my shirt on here. Choose to be kind here. Port Jervis, baby. Um <laughs> You talked about a lot of inspiration today, you know, pivot, things things you've done. What's a pet peeve? What's something that gets under your skin? Um, I guess, well, I was going to say, you know, stubbornness and inability to sort of uh, see another point of view, Mm -hmm. I think, is something. but, But by the way, I'm guilty of that, too. So yeah. it's a pet peeve, but if it's something that I catch myself with all the time. Um, so I, I haven't risen above that by any means. Um, you know, I think we all do that. And I think that's part of why we need to become better at civil discourse ourselves. We need to be able to to teach our kids how to talk to each other because, um, you know, we always have to be able to see another point of view and, and not be so stubborn and, about it. Robert, you're a speaker. I, I've been work, trying to work this in. You mentioned that I got this new prop. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy with props, right? So it's like, what, what, what color do you see, Robbie? What color do you see? Well, I, I see black. Yeah. And I, you know what I see, Robbie? You see white. So I'm, I'm work. I'm going to learn how to work this in about seeing from a different lens. I, I painted this myself. And as you can see, I screwed it up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But here's but my I mean, latest the, prop. The masking tape wasn't connected. wasn't wasn't <laughs> sticky enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the point that counts. But I'm going to work that in. And, you, and you're right. right? You, you got to see. And especially uh, being as global, being as, uh, you know, from different cultural backgrounds and, and the experiences you've had, you know, what a great, what a great answer uh ravi at 8 a.m on saturday morning i feel fill in the blank energized uh looking yeah, forward to to i, I yeah energized I, I don't feel like i want to take the weekend off i, I feel like i want to do something different something that i haven't done before love it love it what is the best takeaway from this show something that happened on this show for our listening audience uh other than buy high quality masking tape <laughs> yes, other than high quality masking tape. Yes. <laughs> uh, don't take yourself so seriously, right? We're in education. That's what I got from from this podcast is that we don't need to take ourselves that seriously because when we have fun, when we uh, do it without knowing the questions in advance, when we take a little bit of risk, we learn more. And, uh, and I think ah, this is a, a, a key thing that I think is important in life is being vulnerable. If you make yourself vulnerable, you uh, are perceived as more sincere and you build better relationships and better networks. There's no shame in being vulnerable. So as you said at the top of this broadcast, you got to be confident. And when you're uh, you know, speaking and when you're, when you're under the, the bright lights, absolutely. But you can be uh vulnerable and confident at the same time you can you can take a risk um that's a that's a great answer quick quick uh um, sort of metaphor to that jeff beck great guitar player who died uh just last uh, over the last few weeks one of my guitar heroes the reason why i always thought he was the best guitar player in the world is because he always took a chance on stage he always went for it he didn't he knew that he might not 
be able to do what he was about to try, but he would do it and he would do it in front of 20,000 people in an arena mm. and he would take the risk. And if he screwed up, you forgave him for it because you respected for the fact that he, that he tried and he did it for you, you know? And, and so to me, that's one of the things I think about with my audiences, you know, also is you got to give them everything and, and they'll forgive you. As long as you're really giving them everything, you're being vulnerable, you're being sincere. This is, a, this is about life, not about just the stage. Uh, in all your relationships and all your interactions, people are amazingly forgiving because they appreciate that you went for it. Dropping a lot of knowledge here, Ravi. I appreciate it. Ravi, your contact information is below here. Is that the best way for people to get in touch with you at your website, Ravi Unites? Absolutely. Yep. They, yeah. uh, through my website, Ravi at RaviUnites.com is, is my email address, uh, at Ravi Unites through all social media. And I respond to everybody. I really do. Uh, yeah. I always have. And uh, because I believe in, in two-way communication. Yeah. And he, and he did that, right? Even Oregon, right? And even coming on the show. Hey, Robert, you come on the show. Bam. We, you know, we connected. Uh, yeah. I love it when people follow through on what they say. And, you, and you've done that. And, God, it's, you know, it's great, to, great, to, great to talk. Ravi, I'm a quote guy. I love quotes. Um, you know, is there one that sticks out to you? Is there one on your wall? I see rock and roll behind you. But is there one that you uh, kind of, you know, uh, leave us with a quote here as we end uh, the podcast here? Yeah, be the change you wish to see in the world. Gandhi. Mm, wow. Bam. Guys, this is uh, Ravi. And Ravi, I don't want to mispronounce it. That's a difficult last name for an Italian. Don't worry. Yeah. Take a chance. Be vulnerable. Houthi Singh. Houthi Singh? Pretty good. Houthi Singh. Houthi Singh with a hard T. Yeah, Houthi Yeah. You must have heard 8,000 versions of that last name. Let me put it this way. When I'm at the airport and they're reading off like the standbys, you know, they're getting on the flight. When there's a long pause, I just start walking to the to the desk because I know it's me. <laughs> they should go <laughs> with the international soccer stars. Just go with Ravi, man. <laughs> so you just, Ravi, period. <laughs> By the time they figure out how to pronounce my name, I'm at the desk. Let's put it that Hutti Singh. Hutti Singh, yeah. There you go. Well, this is Ravi Hutti Singh. Robbie, it has been an honor. You are a star. I, I, I loved your uh, keynote. I loved your presentation. You. The book, I can't wait to read it. And uh, I hope people uh, that are listening to the show will check you out. Uh, the world's most interesting man, everybody, here on Education, Leadership, and Be Up. Thanks a lot, Andrew. I appreciate it. And uh, be happy to come on anytime you want to talk about something. Yeah. Ravi, stick on the line a second. We're going to sign off here on show number 236. Again, Ravi Hutchinson, uh, he is incredible. Uh, look to hire him for your organization. Uh, he touches the hearts and, and minds of his audience. And uh, what a story. What a story. Uh, Ravi, we're going to sign off. If I can help you with anybody, uh, anything, anybody, uh, I am at Andrew Murata 21 on Twitter. And uh, keep surviving and thriving, friends, and keep rolling. Ravi, thanks so much, my friend. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, all right, here comes that uh, wonderful music again. <laughs> We're going to sign off here on show 236. Thank you, everybody. Yeah.